Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star. Oh, mailbag. Sorry, Joe. I was, <laughs> we've been having audio issues and I was like obsessively watching the mic thingy instead of listening to you talk. Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> best co-host ever. <laughs> you know what? We're going to give this a good old fashioned try. But uh, yeah, you know what? It's a mailbag episode. The stakes are low. Although I will say when I read Victoria's question, I thought to myself, oh, wow, that's a big one. Yeah, it is a big one. It is a big one. Joe, Joe, read the question and then I will give you like a lofty answer. <laughs> oh, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. So uh, this is specifically in the email that Victoria sent about Stolen. But at the end of it, she has a question that has been haunting her for a while and she wondered if we could explore it. So the big, bold question can books really make an active difference in the world? I don't mean in the comfort and mental health of reading, but straightforward political change. Anytime I think about the positive examples of change by literature, I think about The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck or The Jungle by Sinclair Lewis, which were both texts about labor and health, and it led to investigations about the working conditions within the vineyard and meatpacking factories. Do you think it could still be possible today or would it take a truly provocative text to do what these authors did, especially for, uh, in the case of like Stolen, something like the indigenous community? Okay, so I've been thinking about this a lot, Joe, since we decided mm -hmm. to do a mini-sode about it, because um, I found that thinking about this question makes me really depressed. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> the answer's kind of no, right? Well, the answer is like, I hope so, but also, like, all the examples I can point to are really old, right? Like... Dickens mm. making people aware of what was going on in the workhouses or like the way Heart of Darkness made people realize that like Belgium was terrible or like, you mm -hmm. know, those are the kinds of examples I can think about. And there's been a lot of really well written, thoughtful, careful articulations of, you know, current social justice issues. I'm not going to pretend that that writing isn't still like vital and important and powerful. Sure. But I'm a little bit worried that like. I don't know if capitalism could save itself anymore. Like, I just think <laughs> we are so far down the rabbit hole. Ah, I don't know, Joe. I This question bummed me out because I could not think of a single contemporary example. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to underplay the importance of change being manifest in individual lives. Like, mm -hmm. I think that is huge. Right. And at the same time... We obviously need so much systemic change in order for people to live better, happier, more fulfilled lives. And mm -hmm. that feels impossible. I will right. say, though, to counter my own point before I let you get a word in edgewise, Joe. <laughs> have you been following? Oh, my God. I already know the answer before I start this. But have you been following John Green's Twitter account this week? No, of course okay. not. <laughs> okay, so John Green has recently become extremely hyperfixated on tuberculosis. And I have just always assumed he is writing a novel that involves oh. tuberculosis in some way. But he posts hmm. about tuberculosis like a lot. And um <laughs> he makes like YouTube videos about it. He's very interested in the ways in which like tuberculosis as a pandemic really, or I guess an epidemic, really like changed a lot of aspects of history. Like New Mexico is basically only populated by settlers because of 
tuberculosis, for example, like fashion changed because people didn't want to like step in gross tuberculosis sputum. Like, right. So he's been on this for like a few weeks or not a few weeks, sorry, like a year. And it's been really interesting. (laughs) But this week, I guess this week, Johnson and Johnson announced that they're going to apply to extend the patent on the drug that is used to treat tuberculosis, which they Mm. own. Right. And I'm not going to pretend to understand any of the science behind it, Joe, but I'm sure they're just price gouging. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. John Green was like, oh, you guys should just let the patent expire and then you could save millions of lives. And they Mm -hmm. released a statement where they were like, actually, Johnson & Johnson doesn't have to let the patent expire. We donated like 600,000 units of our treatment since the lifetime of the drug. And John Green's like, that's great, but millions of people have died. And it's become this huge thing. Like he's got bazillions of followers, right? Right. And- they're putting an intense amount of pressure on Johnson Johnson to the point that like they are feeling the need to make statements about it. Right. And I was thinking yeah. about it. That's not what Victoria is talking about. Like John Green has not yet, if he is at all writing a book about tuberculosis, like this isn't mm-hmm. spurred by literature. It's but his it own is, political activism. Yeah, but it is spurred by like readers, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like fans of literature. And so I don't know. I think maybe what we want is for like, a book to spur a movement, but maybe it's actually like the powers in the hands of readers to change the world, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think about how groups like Anonymous or even Mm. the fans of K-pop when Mm. they filled Donald Trump's auditorium during one of the elections simply because they, they had the numbers and the wherewithal to like basically move the dial. And I do think that that's the kind of political activism that is easier to negotiate because of things like social media and our ability to connect that much easier nowadays. Totally. But that's kind of where I took the question too, is like, it's probably not going to be a single work because even Mm -hmm. when book talk catapults something back onto the top of the bestseller list now, it's typically not the kind of books that are going to instigate radical or wide-sweeping change, right? It's like, oh, we discovered this book and it's either problematic and we all hate this person now, or (laughs) it's a thing that came out, did nothing, and then somebody discovered it and then their post went viral. But I think part of it is just the market is so saturated and everyone's attention is divided in a million ways that it's just really hard to get any large group of people to focus on a single thing And then incite them to move on it. Well, this is the issue, right? It's like if you think back to, you know, I'm going to use Dickens um, as the example. Like raising awareness about the conditions in the workhouses that poor people were living in. Like those stories were serialized. It wasn't like everybody Mm -hmm. went out and bought the hardcover novel and read it and was spurred to action, right? Those stories were serialized. Mm -hmm. They were really easy to consume for an average middle class audience. They were the pop culture mass media of the day. And Mm -hmm. that in turn allowed like a lot of people to know about something. But like, even when you look at a best-selling novel, like, a best-selling novel sells 500,000 copies, and that's astonishing and amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not taking anything away from that number. God knows Yeah, that's but there's wonderful. more than 7 billion people in the world. Exactly. And I just wonder if we've lost as a, as a planet, but, <laughs> but specifically, <laughs> I think, as a, as a society in North America, in the English-speaking world, I just wonder if we've lost the ability to all have the same conversation at once. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's there's honestly just too much, I don't want to say white noise, but there's too many things buying for people's attention and too many outlets for people to get it from. Like to the point where I feel like a lot of us feel overwhelmed just by the the sheer saturation of things mm. that could be taking up our, our space and time. So I think it's already a hard sell in a day and age where fewer people are probably reading or reading in a traditional sense. Like I'm reading a novel as opposed to I'm reading a Wattpad or I'm reading something like I'm reading a blog or I'm watching a vlog on YouTube or something like that. So it it just feels like there's too many little hurdles to accomplish mm. a big change now. Yeah, I I think that's true. And so I think what we need to focus on is the capacity of literature to drive change with mm-hmm. an individual and then the individual turning around to drive change, right? Like it's not right. going to be the same kind of I don't know, A to B relationship that we see with something like, oh, heart of darkness equals, wow, Belgium is really scary as colonizers, which Mm -hmm. like step into jump folks, everybody's terrible as colonizers. But um, (laughs) I think, you know, I don't think we're going to see that same relationship anymore. But what we will see are, you know, readers becoming legislators and caring about issues because those issues were made salient to them in literature. And this is a place where I think, YA literature is really, really important because the books that we read in this period of our lives, even if we don't remember the individual title, like the themes and the content, those things, they have a a significant impact on us, like Mm -hmm. lifelong. And that circles back to the importance of what we read when we're young. Right. And that we read when we're young. Either that or I can just be flippant and say, or we need to write something that will galvanize John Green. (laughs) i am on it (laughs) 